Okay, before we get into our message, let's uh, pray for a little bit, and then we can open up the book of Acts again, and we can continue on in Paul's missionary journey. So let's pray together. Father, we want to bring before you the, the love and the joy that only a believer in Jesus Christ can bring, that we would look on, as we said earlier, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who died on the cross for us, that freely gave us salvation. And Father, we want to sit here and continually be amazed that you would save a sinner such as me, that you would save people who willfully, when they were, when they were born in sin, they looked at you as an enemy of Jesus Christ, and it's for them that you died. And Father, you have revealed yourself to us in a special way, and we have accepted you as Lord and Savior, and you have saved us from the torments that await those that reject you. Father, it is because of your grace at Calvary that we can come here this morning and we can sing praises to you knowing that we are redeemed and we are saved, and all because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we want to thank you for that. And the power that you bring to the cross, we also would ask that you would bring to those that are hurting, and we thank you that Michael Barrett is, or Barrett Mitchell is doing much better. Father, he has a a long surgery for a little guy, and you have watched over him, and we want to give you thanks. We want, to, we want to be appreciative of those things that you have done for us. Father, for Monty Mayberry, as he has received a heart pump and he's waiting for a heart transplant, we praise you and thank you for, for modern medicine that can, that can give his life a quality that he can go from day to day, but he's going to be needing a heart. And Father, we ask that in your kind providence that you would provide one for him. And for Money Mayberry, she's having issues with her feet. We ask that you would continue to, to watch over her and provide for her, that you would heal her, that she'd be able to come back to church again and we could be with her as we have in the past. And what a fixture she is in this church, and we thank you for her life. And Father, we also ask for B. Solace and for Pauline Lane as they're on hospice, that you would be near to them, be near to their care, uh, their caregivers. If you be with Mike as he is from week to week, as he provides for Pauline, we ask that you would give him the strength that he needs to provide well. And also for B of her caregivers, as they're both on hospice, that you give comfort and peace to those that are associated with her and the family members as well. So Father, we're going to open up your word. Lord, we want to, before we do that, we want to pray for John and for the diagnosis that he has. And Father, we want to bring him before the throne of grace, that we know you, you can heal him if you so choose. But if you choose not to, we pray that you would bring him nearer to the throne of grace, that he would look on the Savior like he has never done before. He would see that you are a kind and a merciful God. You will never leave him nor forsake him. So for this, we are thankful. We also ask for your intercession that you would care for him as well. So, Father, may your word go out with power. May it go out truthfully that people would see the riches of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, if we open up our Bibles, we looked at last week at Acts chapter 13, and we're going to kind of skip through a little bit of this, but I want to make it on a much broader scale that we're going to be talking about. And the, the title of this message today is called The Deceptions of Satan. And we can go through Paul's missionary journey. We can talk about all the places he went to. And if you can go to that green, um, maybe I can do it. Who never knows? This, this modern technology stuff. There we go. 
Okay, we are gonna, just for reference, we, we are going to be having Tarsus up here. And I figure the reason I keep bringing these up is, is repetition is a great thing for, for remembering stuff. As you see it week after week, and some of you may be going, yeah, yeah, we've seen that. That's a good thing when it looks, when it looks really um, familiar. I'm going to go back a second to the first one, if I can. Should. Apparently it only went one way, so when Steve gets back up there, go back to the first one, and then I can, I can switch through it. Paul is on his missionary journey, and we're going to be looking at just a couple verses. I want to bring us back up to speed on Acts chapter 13. Let's look at Acts chapter 13, verse 2. It says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed, them in their, placed their hands on them and sent them off. The importance of what I want to talk about on this is the five people that were at the, in verse 1, that is what God would call his dream team. From our perspective, I'm not so sure we would say that. But there was, uh, by some accounts, two Jews, two Gentiles, and one black guy. That made, up, that made up the first dream team, and out of those, Barnabas and Saul were set apart to go on a missionary journey, and we talked about last week is how do you determine God's will? That's the one I want. You can make that a little bigger if you can. <clears throat> how can you determine God's will? And as I have talked about in uh, months past, you can pray specifically, read Scripture, Look for confirming circumstances, seek godly counsel, and if none of those work, you wait. And for Americans, that could be the hardest one of all, is that you wait. But we've talked about that. You pray specifically. Read scripture, seek godly counsel, look for confirming circumstances, and then you wait. Here, they determined God's will was to set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. You can determine God's will in a setting such as this, and churches do it all the time, is it can be a person of wisdom, standing, somebody who, who um, you know, was that E.F. Hutton says, when, when that person talks, people listen. Okay, somebody that is just in, the, in a group, you know that they really, they're, they're close to God, what they say is wise. That can be one way to determine God's will. Another one is, when there's just an overwhelming, deep conviction of the people that are in the audience that we need to do this or we need not to do this. Those can be two really good ways of determining God's will. So then we talked about they laid, on, they laid hands on them, sent them on their way, and this blending of God's sovereignty and the responsibility of man. Blending of the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. And we see the responsibility of man is the Holy Spirit set them aside. They were to do the work of spreading the gospel. The Holy Spirit didn't say go to, go to Cyprus. It didn't say to go to the, to the various cities there. It didn't say to do a variety of things. But we do see one exception. And what I said last week, and I know this is, this is a bit of a review... The one, the one thing that I want to make, that this is how I conduct affairs with my life, is I try to be biblical, I try to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to do what I think is right. 
knowing, in my mind, I believe God can derail that if he wants to. And scripture would support that, because in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Pergia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bethania, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. That is where I get this idea that I'm going to use wisdom, I'm going to do what I think needs to be done, I'm going to press forward, being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit has to say, knowing that if the Spirit of Jesus wants to derail that, he's very capable of doing that, and we see even in Scripture that that has occurred. So we we can move on. Uh, They went from Antioch, the first... I didn't do that this time. (laughs) They went from Antioch, where the first church was. They went to the port city of Seleucia. They voted on down to Salamis. They probably went to each of the cities along this particular edge of Cyprus, coming to the, the capital city of Paphos. The governor, you would say, of, of Cyprus was Sergius Paulus. So we see after Paul and Barnabas get to there, they have an encounter with a guy that's called Bar-Jesus, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. But we see when Paul, and he's called Paul now, Paul and Barnabas, when they get to this region here, it says they went to the synagogue first. And the pattern I told you last week is, in Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. And that was the pattern that Paul used throughout his missionary journeys is he would go to the synagogue first. If they accepted the gospel, fine. If they didn't accept the gospel, he would go to the Gentiles. And we see a variety of places where that occurred. So now, and, oh, and he took John Mark along. We'll talk about John Mark a little later. So this is what I want to talk about. As, as the title says, the deceptions of Satan. We talked about all that Paul and Barnabas are doing, but I want to talk about the deceptions of Satan as it relates to three specific areas. Governments, as the outline, I'm referring to the outline, governments, individuals or groups, and the church. The schemes and the deceptions of Satan are not always readily evident. They can be under the surface, but you can't see it. I'm going to give it. I'm going to give you some visual illustrations of that. And one I'm going to give you is maybe probably you haven't heard of this. Sal's probably aware of it. She is aware of it. When I uh, initially got out of the academy at Shelton, it was about 1980. I know for some of you, it's a long time ago. It was about 1980, and I was sent over to Squim. And while I was in Squim, there was an uprising at the Walla Walla State Penitentiary. And the penitentiaries are under the authority of the governor. And the state patrol is under the authority of the governor. So when that uprising occurred, for whatever reason, they said, we want the biggest, the broadest 
troopers in the state to be the first wave to go to Walla Walla to suppress the uprising. I was in the second wave. What was that, Fred? Well, I thought it was great fun. Sal didn't think it was <laughs> She had some other thoughts on this whole thing. So the first wave went down there for a couple, three weeks or whatever, and I was in the second wave, and we went down there, and we went to Walla Walla, and you would have four, it was this great big, humongous outdoor rectangle with, with walls, and there would be a, a, a guard shack in each of the corners, and you would either be on the wall or the guard shack, and you would watch these prisoners, and there was hundreds of them, and these were not the people that you, you'd invite home for Christmas uh, presents or, or dinner. These were not nice people, not nice people at all. In fact, just a little tiny segue, there was one guy that was in there that was very unusual because he was clean, he'd shaved all his hair, and he would, he, if you put a, a white gown on him or, or a coat, you'd, he could be a doctor, he could be a lawyer, he could be a CPA. He was clean shaven, he, was, he looked very fit, he didn't have tattoos, he didn't have anything. He was very, just a, just a decent looking guy. And I said to the guard, he says, what, what's that guy in here for? He goes, oh, he's a contract killer. He got caught. Oh, nice guy. Okay. So my point is, I'm on the wall, and you have nothing to do. And you're going, how does this relate to the deceptions of Satan? I said, sometimes you don't see what's going on. So they had what we would call little pup tents everywhere. There's pup tents. And when you first looked at this arena, and it was big, it was 100 yards by 100 yards, you'd sit there, and it looked like looking at an anthill. It made no sense whatsoever. It was just like ants going everywhere. People were going everywhere. But when you watch for hours and hours and hours, which we were to do, you'd start to see there's some order to this chaos. And I would see that people would come out of a particular tent, and they would walk, and they would go all over the place. I mean, they would go all over. But they always ended up at the water fountain. And go the water fountain. It was, it, was, it was just odd. So, and they had odd paper cuts. They go to the water fountain, and they rinse out the cup, and they take a drink. And then they'd wander around. And then somebody else would come out, and they'd go everywhere. They ended up in the water fountain because it was hot, and the water fountain was always running. And I, this went on for a day or so, and I said to the guard, I said, they're digging a tunnel in that tent. So they're digging a tunnel. I did. I said, they're digging a tunnel in that tent they're coming out with a little bit of dirt, couldn't see it. They're always ending up with a water fountain, and they'd rinse out their cup, and they'd take a drink. And I know, they're digging a tunnel in the, in, the, in the tent. So about 10 hours, 15 hours later, they raided that, and there was. They were 10 feet away from the wall. They were digging a tunnel, and they were going to go out. The deceptions of Satan are the same thing. You can be looking at the top, and it looks like there's chaos. There's stuff going on underneath the surface. And if you don't know what that is underneath the surface, you're going to be caught by surprise, and it's going to be, it could possibly ruin your life. You need to know what are the tactics, what are the deceptions of Satan. And one of them we see is on Cyprus. Is Paul and Barnabas go there, and they're met immediately by the governor, Sergius Paulus, and by his right-hand man, who was called Bar-Jesus, or Son of Salvation, or Son of Jesus. And in Hebrew, when you were the Son of, 
that meant you were a follower of them. He was by no means a follower of salvation or a follower of Jesus. He was, a, as Paul said, you're a son of the devil, which is a play on words. You say you're a son of Jesus. You're not. You're a son of the devil. That's why it was put in there like that. It was to make a contrast. Nevertheless, you see that there is a conflict immediately on, Cy on Cyprus. I want to look at past governments. You look at Cyprus. Satan knows if he controls the governor, he controls the whole island. We can look at governments in the past. And I spent some time, I just found it interesting myself, so I kind of got involved in this. I went to the book of Daniel. And I looked at Daniel and I went, man, the book of Daniel is just full of the influence, the interference of Satan. It's just full of it all the time. Because you see, Satan loves to derail believers. He loves to, to, well, in some cases, if he can get them martyred, he'd get them martyred. He'd love to do that. But he loves to get in the midst and to affect believers. So how did that happen in Daniel? Well, let's take a look. Daniel 1 is when Daniel's being initially trained. Daniel 2 Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he said, somebody's going to have to tell me not only the interpretation of the dream, but what was the dream I had. And, of course, all of the astrologers and sorcerers and magicians, they're having a fit because they go, nobody has ever asked that of anyone. We'll interpret your dream, but you've got to tell us the dream. He goes, nah, I'm not going to tell you the dream, and I want you to both tell me the dream and interpret the dream for me. Well, Nebuchadnezzar gets we would say, really ticked off. And he goes, fine, I'm going to kill you all. I'm going to kill all the magicians, all the soothsayers, all of the, all of the people, the wise men of his court, because they can't answer his question. David ended up, ends up, he's going to be one of them that's killed as well, as well as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his three buddies. They all were, were taken in the last deportation of Israel, and they were taken to, to Babylon. So, Daniel is taken, they're going to kill them all, and he says, why is the king so upset? And they, they tell him that they wouldn't answer his question. He goes, give me some time, and I will answer the king's question. So that night, Daniel had a dream. He was able to tell Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was, and the rest is he was promoted and all this good stuff. Okay, so you say, well, how is that the deceptions of Satan? Nebuchadnezzar knew firsthand that Daniel believed in the God of Israel. What happens in Daniel 3? Well, let's take a look. Daniel 3 is where Nebuchadnezzar makes a 90-foot image and says everybody has to bow down to this image when the music starts. And, of course, the three friends of Daniel wouldn't do it, so they were thrown in the fiery furnace, right? And they survived, and we know this. The influence of Satan in past governments. And we could talk about the influence of Satan with the Assyrians, with the Philistines. We could talk about the influence of Satan in the book of Esther. The book of the, the, Haman wanted to destroy the whole uh, Jewish nation because he hated the Jews. It was the influence of Satan, and Esther interceded in the... The key verse there is where you, you, could it be that you were put in this place for such a time as this to thwart the deceptions of Satan? Anyway, we go back to Daniel. Then we see in Daniel 
chapter uh, five, four. In chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And Daniel interprets the dream and said, you know what? Because you are prideful, because you are sinful, because you are doing things that are contrary to what God says, you are going to lose the kingdom for a time, and you're going to be like one of the cattle of the field. And this is where you see the influence and the deception of Satan. It's in uh, Daniel 4. It says in verse 27, Daniel ends his explanation of the king's dream with this. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then your prosperity will continue. Is that not the influence of Satan? Nebuchadnezzar is, in Daniel's words, he says, your wickedness. That's what he was saying. And don't think that, that Nebuchadnezzar's influence is permeating the entire kingdom. So the dream within a year is fulfilled. And for a time, they figure it was about seven years, Nebuchadnezzar is with the cattle of the field until his sanity returns, and then he again takes the kingdom over. Okay, you go to do Daniel 5. King Belshazzar, who is the son of Nebuchadnezzar, it says that he is, he is having a great feast for his lords. He's tasting wine, he's getting drunk, and he's drinking from the gold and silver vessels that his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which was located in Jerusalem. And while there, and here's the influence and the deception of Satan. He says, while they were drinking, they were praising the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And during the revelry, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And of course, Daniel came, interpreted the dream, and says, you have been weighed in the scales and been found wanting. And that very night, Belshazzar was assassinated. And the final example from Daniel, the person that took the king's place was Darius. Darius was 62 years old. And what happened is the important nobles in his court came up to Darius and they said, Darius, well, they didn't say that. They said, oh, king, they make it much more formal than that. Oh, king. We think it'd be a great idea if you would make an edict that everyone could only worship you for 30 days. We think that'd be a good idea. And he goes, I think that'd be a good idea too. Knowing that Daniel was a righteous man, and of course Daniel, like it was his custom, three times a day would pray towards Jerusalem, and the king had to punish Daniel because he'd made an edict and he threw him in the lion's den, and we know that story, that Daniel survived, and everyone that had falsely accused him was thrown in. But it was the influence of Satan to remove Daniel, to make him turn away from God, to apply pressure so that Daniel or his three friends or the others would change. That is the deceptions of Satan in, in examples in past government. We see in modern government, 
which is the, the next point on the outline. In modern government, we see that there is corruption, there is deceit. Throughout the world, there are more martyrs of Christians than there has ever been. We don't hear about it a whole lot, but it, it, it's, it's occurring. Modern governments certainly are ordained by God. Certainly God is in it, but within that framework, Satan does his evil. The second group I want to talk about are individuals. One of them we talked about a little earlier was Bar-Jesus. There's one particular individual. And under the expansion of the gospel, oh, before I go to the expansion of the gospel, there's one point I want to make that's going to be uh, applicable to later on in the message. It says about Bar-Jesus, this is just one thing I want to bring up. In Acts 13, verse, uh, what is it, 10. Paul says, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. The, that word deceit is very interesting. It's a Greek word for fish hook. That's what deceit means in Greek. It's a word for fish hook. It means you are, you, it's, it's a method of hooking someone. It's using trickery and it is not what it appears. That's important for later on in my message. So let's go to back to the expansion of the gospel. Expansion of the gospel is, what I found was notable, is every time in Acts where the gospel expands, the first thing that the evangelists run into is an example of Satan. We'll take the first example. If Stephen gets martyred, the people are persecuted, and they go to Samaria, Judea, and the othermost parts of the earth. The first place they went to was in Samaria, and they ran into a guy who was called Simon the Sorcerer. First thing that happened when Philip goes into Samaria, right after the expansion of the gospel, he leaves he runs into an example of a person who is controlled or at least greatly influenced by Satan. That was in Acts chapter 8. You go to Acts chapter 16, Paul goes in his various missionary journey. One of the places he goes to is called Macedonia. As soon as he goes to Macedonia, he encounters a girl, a young girl, <clears throat> who is possessed so that she can predict the future. And the owners of the girl are making a whole lot of money by her predictions, and after this went on for days where the girl would follow Paul around and, and say in a loud voice that these are followers of the Most High God, Paul got tired of it, cast the demons out, and the people that owned her no longer made their, their money, and Paul and Silas were thrown in prison. My point is whenever the gospel expanded in the book of Acts, there was always an encounter with Satan. Another one is you have the, the uh, faces of temptation. What do those look like regarding an individual? The faces of temptation. I have had firsthand experience seeing people that have, the word is deceit. They have had a fish hook. They have been given a bill of goods and they've bought into it and their life is a mess. It is an absolute mess. 
It, it can be deception with drugs or alcohol, sex, pleasure, love of money, you name it. But the message was put out that this is what you'll get. But it was deceit. It was a fish hook. And it hooked them. And then when they got into it, many times they couldn't get out. If you, especially, I, don't, I normally don't pull, uh, point at a particular group, you want to see young people, even moderately old people, you want to see something that is, is incredible, is go on YouTube and look at faces, what's it called, faces of a meth user, or faces of an addict. It is profound. This is what they were before they started, and they show it after they have done this progression, and this is what they look like later on. This isn't even what they're, what's in their head. This is strictly what you see, and they are a mess. They're an absolute mess, but when they started, it looked so attractive. That's why they get into it. It felt so good. And then you can see on YouTube, fast forward to what they look like, and it is the horrors of addiction. It is horrible. We can give another one where we see names that were given to deception. We have one right in our back door, Deception Pass. Why is it called Deception Pass? Well, because Captain Whidbey, way back when, long, long time ago, he came in and they go, we have an inland passage. It can get us into the state of Washington. It can bring us in. Well, we found out that there was no such thing. Even at Deception Pass, they were deceived, and they went through, and they thought for sure they were going to have an Inland Pass. They didn't, hence the name. And in honor of Captain Whidbey, they named the island after him. You have another one, and some of you have probably flown into Anchorage. It's called Turnagain Arm. Great, but you, you go, you go to, to Anchorage, and if you head south from Anchorage, there's this body of water. Just, it goes for 30, 40 miles. It's this huge body of water. Well... There was a British explorer in 1778, 243 years ago, if you do the math, 243 years ago, he's up there and they go, this is a Northwest Passage. It'll get us into the state of, what we know as the state of Alaska. But you go down this turning an arm, you go down, you go keep going and going and going until finally it takes a curve and the road brings you around it. And that's why they call it turn again arm because you went and you went with a boat and they go the dead ends so we have to turn around so they call it turn again arm it was a deception it's not what it appears thirdly we have the church we have the church john mark satan seems to be working in the church as we know it both then and now john mark had left in verse 13, Acts 13, verse 13, he had left and he returned to Jerusalem, and much has been made by scholars of why John Mark left. Well, there, there could be a host of reasons. One of them that tends to surface is maybe there was resentment on the part of John Mark because Paul now was going to be the driver. It used to, it used to be Barnabas and Saul. But from now on, it's going to be Paul and Barnabas. It's always Paul first, and he is now the one that is, that is going to be in the leadership position. And maybe John Mark just didn't want to work for Paul. We don't know. 
Maybe John Mark was afraid of the Tarsus Mountains. They had nasty rivers, nasty currents. And we see in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 26, that Paul, that Paul says, I was in dangers and in hardships in all these different things. And one of them was, was rivers and swift current. Maybe John Mark said, nah, I'm out. I don't want to do this. Maybe he just didn't have the, the energy for it. We know, I can give you, I can probably give you six reasons why John Mark may have not went on, but they're all speculation. We don't really know. But this is what we do know. More churches have been attacked and changed by dissension, disunity, undercurrent, discord, and divisions. It's always helpful to be on the alert for where an attack from Satan can come from. And we should know that in the church, it has happened, it's happened in my life, I suspect it's happened in all of your lives, there has been dissensions and disunity in the church. One of the very best ways to control a denomination is to control the seminary. And one of the very best ways to control the church is to control the pastor and the church board. It's just as simple as that. If you want to make an effect on a church, those are the institutions that you go after. I'm going to read you a little, just a little excerpt from a uh, missionary compound in South Africa. It went on like this. We went into a compound, a lovely mission, up in the Andes. I want to show you an infirmary. So he took me up to a little hospital with all the finest equipment. It was great equipment, beautiful to use to minister to the physical needs of the native Indians. He showed me a missionary home. He showed me a radio station, all of this beautiful stuff. And there wasn't one missionary. There wasn't anybody around. I says, where are the doctors? Where are the missionaries? He says, well, there aren't any. I said, why not? He says, well, for some reason they couldn't get along with each other and they all left. And there are a lot of churches that that is exactly what has happened. And we explain it away in one way or another. Say, well, you know, we just didn't get along. These are the deceptions of Satan. And if we don't know where the attack could be coming from, we'll be taken by surprise. There are some of the influences that are really easy to see. Some of them are really hard to see. I gave you an example of Walla Walla. I'm going to give you three more pictures. They can kind of summarize what I mean by this. If we go, we go to one, I don't want that one. I don't want that one either. I'm trying, it won't go. The, the first one with the, they're, they're numbered one, two, and three. Ne next one. Nope. There should be three more in there. Numbered one, two, and three. There's one. You see it? You don't see it right away. When you first glance, you go, what's the problem? I don't see it. But it's there. The danger is very real. You don't see it. I'm going to go back because there was one before this one. You see that one? That's an easy one to see. 
See how it blends? The deceptions of Satan are just like this. They're there, but sometimes you can't see it real well. So there's the first one. There's the second one. And the next one's the hardest. Right there. There's the danger right there. The birds aren't afraid. Yeah, they're fine. The danger is right there. But if you're not looking, you don't see it. And then finally, there's the hardest one. Well, then that means you're exceptional. <laughs> My point is, in pictorial form, you can see that some things are easy to see, some things are hard to see. You can take geography. Some things are easy to see, some things are hard to see. You can look at Walla Walla. Some things are, it's just right there. I mean, how can you miss it? Well, there's more going on than what you actually can see. And it's the same thing with Satan. It takes a foothold in any one of these places, whether it be in governments, whether it be with individuals, or whether it be with the church. If Satan gets a foothold, he expands from there, and there can be all kinds of chaos that will come afterwards. And here's the deal. If you, and th this probably isn't a good, uh, a good comparison, but you talk to a young man or woman about the importance of who they date before they fall in love, right? Because once they fall in love, it's much tougher. And it's the same thing with disunity in the church. You talk about it before you have the disunity. You talk about it when things are going good so people are persuadable and teachable and God's word can marinate over their soul. But when people have, have, have entrenched themselves in particular areas to talk about it then, ooh, really tough. Because they've now taken sides. Satan has a foothold, and now we don't want to change. So you talk about this, especially when things are going well. And I think there are things are going well in this church. So I feel free to talk about it. I'm not looking at anybody. Serious, I'm not looking at anybody when this occurs. It's a good time to talk about the deceptions of Satan. So should they start to arise, we go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We're not going to do this. We know what's going on. That's our message for today. I hope that it blesses you because Satan is alive and active. He is defeated, but he is alive and active. So let's, let's have a final song to worship team as we, as we close. Let's sing together.